Today is a really special day. I've been looking forward to this round table and we're going to give a very practical um, slant focus on film finance. It's a dynamic topic and we've got experts here. Let's get started with the, with the film finance round table, a practical approach and solutions. So let's meet the palace. Over on the far side, first we want to say hi to uh, Joe Shinies. He's the Joe is the executive VP of, uh, of Entertainment Financial um, um, Solutions at Entertainment Partners. And uh, next to Joe is, is Emily Best. Emily is the uh, founder and CEO of Seed and Spark. Next to Emily is Richard Sheehan, the Vice President of, of the Entertainment <laughs> Division at East West Bank. Next to, uh, next to Richard is, um, is Gary Schreiber, uh, CPA of Moses and Schreiber. And next to, next to Gary is, is Danny, Danny Faith Leonard, co-founder of Big Vision Empty Wallet and, uh, and uh, Productions as well. So uh, next to Danny is Carlton Evans. Carlton was on our production team for one of the films we have here called Ping Pong Summer. And I hope he'll talk about that. He's a, a producer and an executive producer of films. And, um, and next to Carlton is Mark Hostetter from Indiegogo. He is a head of films at uh, film executive at Indiegogo crowdfunding. So um, now that we've uh, we've met the panel, let's go down the um, go down and and just. Uh, Joe, why don't you start off, just tell us what, um, what you do, you tell us about uh, entertainment partners and what you do as the EVP, uh, you know, brief intros. Sure, I run a division at entertainment partners called EP Financial Solutions, and we provide a variety of services all centered around domestic and international incentives. We provide consulting services whereby producers call us up and sort of just ask us, where in the world can I shoot my movie? I need this, this, and this, where can I go? And so we, we consult with them and we do our best to keep people in the US. We do our best to steer people to New York, but uh, I will say that we're still fighting a battle where we're losing a lot of production outside the US because uh, the programs out the, outside the US, excuse me, I'm still a little winded, are, have a lot more certainty in their programs than the US programs do. Um, I know even now, right now in New York State, there is some discussion of reducing the, uh, the annual cap I don't think it's a terrible thing to have happen, but I think it's sort of a bad message overall. But beyond that, I don't want to spend too much time on that one point, but we provide consulting services, we finance credits, we place transferable credits, we provide administrative services, and we also provide procurement services in certain states that allow sort of pass-through companies. Excellent. Emily, tell us about Seed and Spark. What is Seed and Spark? Um, so Seed and Spark is one place for filmmakers and audiences to fund and follow and discover and watch films. Um, so we're a fully integrated uh, crowdfunding and distribution platform um, because we think the audiences should have a seamless experience. They should get to discover films really early, um, become early adopters. They earn uh, points called sparks that give them greater access to our library of streaming content um, and uh, watch films right away. So if you fund a film on Seed and Spark today, you will um, very likely earn enough uh, sparks to watch a film today, um, which we think is a really exciting way to um, capture those really engaged audiences and build the greater audience for uh, independent film um, because 
we're all in this together. And an audience for your film might also be an audience for my film, and that's a good thing. Um, we also launched Bright Ideas Magazine. It's a film culture magazine distributed dis exclusively at festivals. Um, and we're really excited to be here. It's our second Sundance as a company. Awesome. We're, yeah. we're excited that you're here, too. Richard, tell us about East West Bank and what you're doing there. Good morning. Um, East West Bank, for those of you who hadn't heard of the bank before, uh, actually started in the 70s. We're based in Pasadena. And we came to New York about 18 months ago. Um, my colleague Maureen Cox is here, uh, and I went over in August to uh, head up the entertainment group for the East Coast. Um, and basically what we do is film financing, so we're very excited. Uh, we're lending against contracts, uh, distribution contracts, pre-sales. If there's a tax credit in the overall deal, we'll throw it in there. Um, we'll do New York State tax credits as a standalone. Any other states we do not do, we refer to Joe. Um, and. Uh, we're very excited about doing more creative financing than we were allowed to do at our, our previous bank. So, and happy to be back here again today, thanks. Well, thank you. Gary? Hi, my name is Gary Schreiber. I'm a partner in the accounting firm Moses and & Schreiber, and basically what we do is help uh, independent filmmakers structure entities to help them raise money to produce their films. And we like to get involved on a very early on basis so that the investor experience is more um, satisfying. Basically, you don't want to have go down 12 months down the road and have an oops. We should have structured it as an LLC, not as a C-Corp, or a combination of both. Um, you know, and in addition, we do the tax compliance, filing the tax returns, getting the investors their K-1s on a timely basis so that everybody is happy. And that's basically what we do and why we're here. Great. Can you make sure the switch is on? Yes. <laughs> Danny? Hi, I'm Danny Faith Leonard. I'm the co-founder of Big Vision Empty Wallet, uh, which is a membership community for uh, producers and content creators. We have members all over the world who are doing the most innovative things, and we make sure that they really know their shit and that uh, they remain on the cutting edge. Um, we also recently launched Big Vision Creative, where we produce projects and also consult on projects. and. Uh, one of the services that we offer for our members is coaching as far as securing financing for their films. And we, uh, co we coach them to do that in a variety of ways, uh, whether it's through traditional financing or crowdfunding or sponsorships and partnerships, which I definitely will talk more about later. I'm Carlton Evans. I'm the co-founder of 23rd Street Films. Uh, we're a small production house in San Francisco, but we do films all over the place. In fact, our next film will be shot in New York in the fall. Um, <coughs> we're working with uh, the guys from Ping Pong Summer again on another film that we're going to be doing in Ireland uh, that Mike Tully will be directing. Um, we work at every stage of, of the project. We get involved usually at the development phase and see the film through production and off into distribution. Um, another film we'll be working on is uh, Matthew Lassner's next feature. He has a short in the program this year called Chapel Perilous. Um, it's actually one of the ten films that was selected for streaming on YouTube during the festival, so you should definitely check that out too. 
Awesome, it's a great slate. Uh, Mark, tell us about uh, Indiegogo. Sure. Uh, I'm Mark Hofstadter, head of film at Indiegogo. Uh, Indiegogo is the original crowdfunding platform. Uh, we launched here at Sundance six years ago, just down the street at the Red Banjo. Uh, since then, um, and well, since then, we have been and we will always continue to be uh, the only global uh, crowdfunding platform. Uh, at this point, 193 countries around the world, uh, filmmakers around the world, uh, have utilized our platform uh, to raise funds for their films, but also to reach out and to engage with our audiences. Uh, here at the festival, uh, we have a lot of great films, including uh, Steve James, who won an Oscar for Hoop Dreams, um, his new documentary, Life Itself, about Roger Ebert, premiered last night. Uh, also, uh, Dear White People and several other films all got their funding and started on Indiegogo. Uh, and in terms of distribution, we uh, recently announced a partnership with VHX and Yekra, who, much like us, are empowering filmmakers to engage with their audiences and to obviously pursue their dreams uh, creatively. Great. Okay, so these are dynamic times in the world of film finance. We've got a great um, array of, of film finance experts, and I think we should get right into it. Um, let's start with the traditional media. Um, Richard, uh, so you're you're a banker. You're, um, we don't always associate um, uh, independent films with 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 banks and, and bankers, but uh, in, in fact, banks are are very involved in independent films. So why don't you let's discuss? Uh, tell us about some of the services and activities that uh, East West is doing in the independent film arena. Sure. Um, East West in the past couple of years has has financed films with budgets from about three million up to, you know, we do the Hunger Games, so it's a real big <laughs> swing in budget sizes. Um, what they looked for us to do in, uh, in New York, because that's what the market is, is independent film, is to really work with uh, the filmmakers there. And Maureen and I have done that for years um, in other places. And um, so we work closely with Producers Guild, with IFP, meeting with people, and, you know, it's an interesting market now in that it's not just the typical studio contract that you look for. We'll look at a Netflix contract. We'll look at what you're doing on VOD. We'll look at an iTunes contract. Um, as the market changes, the bank, thankfully, has been, you know, looking to all of those different avenues to, to finance. Um, so a typical, a typical project we'll look at, we'll have some equity. We'll hopefully have some pre-sales that we'll look at. And then, you know, maybe there'll be a distribution contract domestically already, maybe not. But that's, that's basically what we're looking for. And then also tax credits as well. So if there's an, an overall package and there's a tax credit from a Louisiana or Puerto Rico or, or anywhere else, we'll look at financing those as well. Okay. What's the state of uh, tax credits in, in the U.S. and internationally now, and how do you, uh, how do you engage with that? Well, in, from the U.S. perspective, there are about 44 states with incentives. Um, the most recent state to introduce an incentive was Nevada, uh, January of this year, and um, they've already seen a lot of activity, sorry. Uh, I think where we're seeing some struggles, and you're seeing a bit of this in the press, is in, in North Carolina, where a new governor came in a couple of years ago, and from the very beginning expressed a lack of support for the incentive. It was supposed to expire last year. It got a one-year extension, but unless something changes, it will expire at the end of this calendar year which is unfortunate because we talk about independent film and North Carolina was actually a very 
busy jurisdiction outside of New York and Los Angeles, even when there wasn't an incentive. There was a lot of television being shot in North Carolina because of the, the crew base. So to sort of bring it back to full circle, incentives have changed all that. Uh, you're not gonna see that crew base able to continue to work in North Carolina if there isn't an incentive. So incentives are key, as I was saying before, it's key that we keep the incentives in the US strong because there are the foreign incentives that are stronger and they are definitely attracting some of the more larger projects. And I'll, I'll just give you another interesting example. Malaysia introduced a new incentive, let's say March of last year. In the last nine months, there's been like five productions already, huge productions going to Malaysia. So whether they're studio producers or independent producers, no one's afraid to go to a jurisdiction when an incentive is new or it's untested because you're gonna get back somewhere between 25 and maybe even 50% of your spend. Okay, so, uh, yeah, Emily. I, I would just like to know for, um, for independent filmmakers who are not in, the, in that kind of information flow, where can we go to find out where the best incentives are, what's changing, which ones have shut down, which ones have opened up? Because I'd go, um, I mean, I don't want to be un-American, but I'd go to Malaysia. Right. Well, well, thank, well, thank you, great question. Emily, thank, thank you. Well, thank, you for the, thank you for the plug. We do maintain a website. If you go to entertainmentpartners.com, there's a link for production incentives, and we do keep a current tab of all domestic and international incentives. If you get on our mailing list, we send out a monthly uh, a newsletter with an update. We put out a uh, biannual guidebook that's sort of scattered around the room here. And then um, phone calls. I mean, literally, um, because I'm asked to track this, on an annual basis, we get anywhere between three to 4,000 calls a year for people asking, and not everybody's a client. I will tell you right now, it may increase my workflow, but I don't pick up the phone and say, are you an EP client? I pretty much will help anybody who calls and go as far as I can and hopefully bring them as a client, but if I can, can't, I send them to Emily or whoever who can help them get to the next stage. All right, Joe, not to tire you out, but here we're here at the New York Lounge. Give us a, give us a, a brief rundown, 60-second uh, basics of the New York State tax credit as you, it is today. I would say New York is, a, is, is great. New York is probably the most competitive state out there in terms of continuing to modify its incentive it's a 30% refundable credit. They now have a post-production credit that started at 10. It's now bumped up as well. The funding's great. I think New York State's starting a trend here in the U.S. where motivating people to leave sort of the New York metropolitan area and go upstate to get more money. Uh, I think New York is great. I think the things that are affecting New York, one I mentioned already, is just discussion about taking down the cap. I understand it might be necessary, and I'd rather see the cap come down a little bit versus the program go away altogether. I just would like to see things remain more consistent. I would say the only other issue with New York State and the film office, both uh, Rhoda Glickman and Gigi Simone are aware of this, is that the process in reviewing applications has slowed down a bit, but they are making every effort possible, including bringing in new people, more people, to help that process along. Excellent. One of the biggest stories in independent film finance over the past couple of years has been crowdfunding. It's a, it's a term that's thrown around a lot, and uh, I just wanted to hear from our experts uh, what they're doing and what they see the trend to be going forward in 2014. Um, I, you know, what I think we've seen now, again, for the last six years with Indiegogo, is that the campaigns, actually I don't even like to call them campaigns, the projects that our filmmakers are working on uh, on Indiegogo are becoming more and more sophisticated. 
Um, some people have gotten into crowdfunding because I think it's free money. Um, we don't see it that way. We see it a way to engage with your, with your audience, to build a fan base, uh, and to interact with that fan base. Just to be clear, we like the banks. <laughs> um, they're not our enemy um, because ultimately, um, you don't come to crowd, uh, you don't come to Indiegogo um, most of the time to crowdfund your entirety of your budget. What you're doing is raising a portion of that budget, bringing that soft money to financiers who are more excited by the fact that you have this audience, this crowd with you, this team of people with you supporting you, and you have that money to basically showcase you have proof of concept, proof of market. Um, and to that regard, and the great thing also about Indiegogo is that because we are international um, and we have reached those 193 countries, that with us you get all the back-end data where those contributors are coming from. And so for foreign sales purposes, you can say, oh, we got 3,000 contributions from Malaysia. <laughs> and so then, well, then you can pre-sell Malaysia or ideally more, you know, uh, bigger territories like France and, and England and so forth. Um, in terms of the future, I think that obviously people ask about equity. Equity is going to be part of crowdfunding. Um, you know, in terms of, again, um, the filmmakers uh, and what they're doing, I think that, again, the, 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 the quality of the filmmakers, the sophistication of the, the projects themselves will continue to grow. And I think that, you know, from festivals like this, you know, right now I think about 30% of the films are crowdfunded. Um, and by next year, I guarantee it's 50%. Wow, that's a uh, not guarantee, but I believe <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty significant. Emily, tell us. Um, well, you know, in in terms of um, crowdfunding now, I think um, both filmmakers and audiences are getting more sophisticated in their relationship to crowdfunding. Um, it's uh, it's becoming more of a household concept than it ever is before. Although you will still meet people every day, everywhere in the country um, who've never heard of crowdfunding as a concept. So we certainly haven't reached any market penetration of any kind. Um, but because audiences are getting more sophisticated and because everyone in this room has probably, probably received, I don't know, 600 requests for funding this year, probably, um, we can start to feel like there's some sort of saturation. And I think part of the problem is, um, as you just pointed out, uh, some people come to crowdfunding platforms thinking it's free money. Um, and at Seaton Spark, anyway, we're, we're highly curated and we work, um, it's a two-step uh, verification process. We work with our filmmakers before they launch to make sure that they're um, able to tell their story in a way that's really compelling to audiences. Because crowdfunding, um, as was already said, is about engaging audiences. Ultimately, it's about, um, it's a way to make money marketing, first of all, and it's about getting really specific about who your audience is and what inspires them. And that's really exciting because I actually think we're seeing a content renaissance partially thanks to all of these filmmakers out there having to get really clear about these questions even before they've made their movies. So I think the future of crowdfunding is better stuff to watch and audiences aware of it earlier. Um, and that's super exciting. <coughs> You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> that's, that's great. I wanna hear from the producers. There are more options than ever in this new renaissance, and so you're looking at a buffet of, of options these days. And um, where, what are you looking at? What, uh, what are the things that are interesting to you when you're consulting um, with, their, with your colleagues or, or producing on your own? Um, Danny? 
I think I think what uh, what has become really interesting and really I think more due to crowdfunding than anything else is um, I find that uh, most filmmakers finance plans are really wrapped up in their marketing plans all of a sudden and that's a really interesting fantastic thing um, so for the projects that that we're producing and also for the the clients that we consult and our members that we consult, we we try to make sure that that's the case. And uh, and one way that we really like to secure a lot of our funding or stretch our budget as far as we can is through sponsorships and partnerships. And um, I, I very specifically, we go through line by line of the budget and see what we can get sponsored before we do anything else. And uh, and then try to secure some of our financing through product placement and uh, and through sponsorships. Um, so there's a, a film that we're producing in New Orleans later this year and we will lower our budget as much as we can while still meeting the minimum spend. And, uh, and it's also great for the marketing because those brands are now behind us and, uh, and we'll be promoting the film as well. Excellent. Carlton, tell us about uh, you know, the, the landscape as you see it. What are, the, what are the options you're looking at for your slate for 2014? Sure. Um, well, for us, you know, we're working at budgets that are, we, we find $2 million to be about the sweet spot for a budget. Um, so that's not a lot of money to produce, you know, a, a kind of significant film. Um, and so, of course, you know, like any production, we're stretching the budget as much as we can. Uh, to me, the most exciting thing is the advent of the, the tax credits in the last few years. Um, you know, and some of the state's credits are just unbelievable. I mean, if you can get back, you know, up to 40% of your spend, um, on the on your film, it's I mean it's it's rivaling you know some of the international uh, co-productions that that you can do where you know we're doing one in Ireland right now where about half the budget is going to come back to us through the Irish government in various forms. Um, but I mean you know you know Malaysia sounds wonderful too. But but the truth is if you can go to Louisiana and get more or less the same credit and not have to deal with finding a crew in Malaysia and the you know additional expenses that you're you're racking up um, I think that's just wonderful so that's that's something we're definitely taking advantage of quite a bit uh, crowdfunding is is very very significant um, you know as to echo what um, what everyone else has said here um, I think the real value of it is not going to be you know the amount of money you raise which is going to be hard hard you know it's that's hard money to to get it's it's, it's a lot of work um, but it's really the, the essential component is, is building that audience that if someone gives five dollars to your project it's it's nothing in terms of the the budget but that person is going to be completely in, invested in it and be an evangelist for the project they're going to feel like a producer on it and so that's that's really important um, to me though I think you know uh, as an independent producer you just have to be really smart about how you raise money um, one of the things that I, I found really interesting that's associated with the tax credits is that if you're leaving your home state to go shoot somewhere else, get engaged with that community. Because that community is going to have a lot of pride in the project that you're doing that's in their, in their state. So for example, in Ping Pong Summer, um, you know, it's all shot in Ocean City, Maryland, the entire community got behind this. And, you know, to echo what Danny said, uh, you know, it was really a matter of, you know, going through line items and saying, well, what can we get for free? What can we get just, you know, because someone wants to participate in this, get, you know, a credit or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, so whatever that is, if it's your craft services or anything, you can, uh, you know, significantly impact your budget that way. Um, the other thing too is that you know you should absolutely go to potential investors in that state because again they're going to feel invested in this in an emotional way beyond you know whatever money they're putting in. 
Um, and so that's also you know a great way to raise raise money for your uh, for your project. Can I speak to that as a producer really quickly? Please, please do, so Emily. My my first feature was called Like the Water, and we this was where we sort of. Um, originated the concept for Seedon Sparks crowdfunding model which works like a wedding registry so you make a list of the line items you need to make your movie and that's the ask you send out and we were shooting in a small t coastal town in Maine called Camden we had a local car dealership donate the picture cars for six weeks we had a local coffee shop give us all the coffee for craft services we had a local deli um, cater some lunches somebody showed up on set one day because we made a movie in Maine so obviously there were lobsters in it but somebody actually drove to set one morning with 35 lobsters, live lobsters. It was really astonishing. And, and then when we did a special screening at the beautiful theater in Rockland, Maine, it's a 350-seat theater, there was a line down the block and around the corner. And it was like the real live action between kind of um, funding, community engagement, sponsorship, and, um, and audience building that was it's as a filmmaker is really exciting and I will just say we did get the tax credit in Maine which was very shockingly easy to do it was my first feature and I had no experience with it but I missed the New York State tax credit because I didn't do my research that I and I didn't apply in time so certainly when you're thinking about financing take a couple weeks read their website figure out what your options are before you start charging ahead as I did okay Gary Tell us what uh, what are the tax implications of bringing in um, sponsor partners and crowdfunding? What what do we need to know about that? The key is knowing that this is all going to be taxable income unless there are expenses applied against it. That is absolutely the key because producers and directors are you know overwhelmed trying to raise money everywhere they can and they don't think of the ramifications to their potential investors and you know when 181 was around and hopefully it will get renewed but who knows um, it was easy to have expenses that are directly written off against the income that was generated through crowdfunding or sponsorship um, and now it's going to be a little bit more delicate so we're going to have to weigh the balance of the tax ramifications to the investors for all this income that all of a sudden won't be directly written off. So, you know, that's why getting involved with, you know, people on the panel that are experts in this field is so critical. And just planning ahead to say, okay, we're going to get this much by, you know, financing our credit. We have X amount of, of equity given to us and, you know, how are we going to pull it all together? So before you give away, uh, uh, Richard, please add to that, but then I want to um, follow up with. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that especially, I mean, we work a lot with the New York State tax credit. Um, to what Gary was saying, it's so important that you have the best production accountant and line producer that's keeping track of, of all of the, um, the spend because that's, that's what's going to get you your money back. It's not, you know, just filming in the state and handing in a sheet of paper at the end and hoping, hoping for the best. It's really all during the, the course of, the, of your production to make sure everything's done correctly. Um, when we do financing of that, um, we're doing bonded films, so we're doing three million and above budgets for the most part. Um, we use EP to do our administration so that they're checking every week to make sure that the, the correct spend is done. So that's, that's vitally important to getting, getting your money back. Good to know. So we're, one of the trends that we, we've discussed, uh, and Danny mentioned it specifically, in, in terms of partnerships, is the, um, the growth of not-for-profits and, um, and the mix of, of value content 
in in films. What happens? What do we do, Gary? When um, yeah, how do you how do you treat uh, for tax purposes? How do you treat contributions that are are from not for profits and donations in the mix? The film itself is not a not for profit. So even though you might get a grant from a not for profit, that is a taxable event unless you have something to do with that. So just because you may get a nice grant from a not for profit, and you may think it's not taxable, your entity is a total taxable entity. So you need to plan accordingly and know how to handle it because it's taxable income to the, to the film. Great, good to know. Um, so let's go back to crowdfunding for a second. I, I'm eager to know from, from the experts here, what are some of the best practices producers should, uh, should think about before they jump into a, um, a crowdfunding campaign? What, what does it entail? What, what, what are, what's the, road, the hallmark of, roadmark for um, road to success? Well, I, I, a couple of things. I think the, you know, as we were, Emily was talking earlier about, you know, reading about tax credits and, and incentives. It's the same thing with um, you know, education, uh, same thing with crowdfunding and you know, mounting an Indiegogo campaign. Um, you want to read up, you want to take the time, look at other successful campaigns, mirror what they've done, um, but obviously at the same time be original because as there are more and more campaigns that are coming out to, uh, that are more and more projects that are coming into the world, um, you need to be unique and special. Um, but that said, you know, taking the time to build your social media, um, you know, plan out your strategy on how you're going to get the word out. Um, projects fail in Indiegogo when they don't take that time. And you know, the great thing about us is that we're very hands-on with our filmmakers. Uh, we make ourselves very accessible to them um, as long as they make themselves accessible to us. Um, you know, we will reach out, they will reach out to us, we are there to help guide them through uh, before, the camp before the project launches uh, through the entire life cycle of that project. Um, and then we support them um, you know, via our own social media. Um, but ultimately, uh, they have to educate themselves um, and we can only do so much. Um, they, you know, we've been doing this for six years, uh, longer than anybody, and you know, we've seen what works and we like to tell them, you know, give them best practice on how they achieve their goals. Great, Emily, how about you? What, what are your observations and, uh, and, and suggestions? Sure, well, the, I mean, there's some very general best practices about engaging early and often, understanding that um, crowdfunding should not be the, the beginning of your engagement with your audience. That's gonna be a really, really hard sell, and if it is, then you have to scale your ask accordingly. You're not gonna raise $150,000 as an unknown filmmaker for a project that nobody's ever heard of without, you know, and starting your Twitter account at zero. It's not going to happen. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Unless you spend, um, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, reaching out directly to influencers, audience members, um, press, so on. Um, and even then, it would be really hard. I think that the best... Uh, the best thing you can do is switch on your social media and start engaging with your audience now. Um, and don't worry about it being from the name of the project. Really what people are investing in is your view of the world and your vision and your optic. So what I think is really exciting about crowdfunding, by the way, is that it's allowing producers <laughs> to become the rock stars, which as a producer is very satisfying to witness. Um, and uh, and I think that's I think that's actually really important because these are fans that you're building 
to the point where you can make a call to action that involves them parting with their hard-earned dollars. But if you think about what kind of decisions you have to make to actually click a button and enter your credit card information and send money off, um, you want something that's inspiring, that's funny, that makes you feel good. Um, and it's really not an ask, it's what you're offering. And I would say that is like the number one most important best practice is you have to be really clear about what you're offering. And the best stories we see are the ones that say, we are so excited to present this thing to the world. Will you join us on this journey? And that, those are, hands down the most successful. And we can get into statistics. Seaton Spark is a 70%, we have a 70% success rate, and I think that's largely due to very hands-on curation, and um, I think the, uh, the, the wish list is very effective because it helps filmmakers understand exactly what they need and therefore what they're reaching out for, and that helps them make sort of more targeted asks. Um, but really, it is about your passion in the passion inside you connecting to the passion inside someone else. It's not tangible all the time. I just want to make one um, um, reference. So uh, speaking of starting that social media on uh, very early, uh, one, of our great, one of our greatest examples here at Sundance, or one great yes. example is here at Sundance, our film Dear White People. So Dear White People start off as a Twitter feed and as a Tumblr blog. Uh, Justin Simeon, uh, the director, uh, recently named a variety director uh, to watch uh, about last month. Um, he started off with the Twitter feed, started with the, uh, the Tumblr blog, and he built and built and built. He was working on that daily. Eventually, he created a concept trailer um, that got him a lot of press, and he did his Indiegogo campaign, had a goal of $25,000, raised over $40,000, um, and he's a perfect shining example of how getting momentum early, and you know, it was months before the campaign launched, uh, building that buzz, building that crowd, and then they came to him. It wasn't that the campaign, the project reached its goal in days. Yeah. So preparation is really important before you begin the campaign. Carlton? Yeah, I just wanted to make a point that, um, you know, that unless, unless you're really dealing with a micro-budget uh, film, I, I don't think it's wise for producers to think of their crowdfunding campaign as, as really funding a significant portion of the budget. But what it is is an opportunity to really get your social media ducks in a row, to organize and build your, your mailing list, um, and, and to start that key marketing that, that, that is so important is going to be important all the way through. Um, you know, this is also, it really is a full-time job, you know, for the 30 or 60 days or whatever it is that you're, you're doing your campaign, you know, you have to be constantly preparing the next email blast, you know, constantly um, responding publicly to, to your donors so that they're thanked publicly and their friends see that they're involved in this. It's a, it's a very, very difficult um, job. It's, it's one that I, I actually find particularly difficult. Um, <laughs> but um, the, other, the other point I wanted to make is that that's really just the beginning. That um, what I've seen so many times in these, these kinds of projects is there's a great push through the crowdfunding campaign. They raise a really nice amount of money. You know, there's an audience that's built there and then it just disappears. Like, you don't hear about anything until the film is premiering. Um, and so, so again, like you should really think of this as this is your opportunity to start that key marketing that you're going to have to be doing throughout. You know, get somebody that's going to be dedicated to that throughout the, the development production and then, you know, post and, and through into your premiere and, and distribution. Yeah, one thing about that, two things. First is, don't think that you can run a crowdfunding campaign during pre-production or production. It just, it doesn't or, work. Or by yourself. Or by yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, unless it's a very, very small amount and you have a really big network. Don't, don't do 
alone, it stinks. Um, <laughs> The, uh, the second thing is that one of the things that was really important to us on Seed and Spark was uh, to not let our filmmakers sort of go dark. And um, because the real utility of crowdfunding is to kick off this really engaging audience building, you can continue to build your audience and gather followers to your crowdfunding campaign, which then becomes sort of your landing page and update page. It can actually kind of act as your film's website. Um, throughout production and beyond. And we've, in, including, we've had filmmakers use our platform for staged financing, which we're seeing uh, an increasingly successful way to do fundraising. So we've had projects raise $6,000 for development, have a really successful campaign, and gather 250 uh, contributors and 400 followers, and then come back uh, four or five months later after they did everything they promised and fulfilled all those incentives, and in the very same crowdfunding page, open a new campaign to that same group of core funders and followers, who then helped amplify them to raise, I think, $37,000 for a short film. And they raised their entire production budget. Obviously, this is a little bit different than if they were doing a $2 million film. But I think it's really important that um, the filmmakers also are empowered by the platform um, not to stop, right? So you can continue to use Seed and Spark to get more followers because ultimately you want to click stream my film and all of those people will be able to watch your film in the same and spot. Really cool thing with us is that um, you know, we uh, implemented something recently called Indiegogo Outpost. Outpost allows you to take your Indiegogo campaign, embed it on your own website. Um, and so you're able to get, obviously, your direct traffic on your own website while still have the, the project mirrored on Indiegogo.com. So you're getting traffic from both sides. And um, you know, through our new partnerships with VHX and through Viagra, you're able to then also stream the film um, rentals or, or downloads on your website as well, uh, which I think is a very unique uh, platform. But these are fantastic uh, practical suggestions here. One, one thing that's really worth noting is the amount of preparation before uh, a crowdfunding campaign because uh, you will be leveraging your social capital in, uh, throughout the your success of the crowdfunding campaign depends on how well you leverage your social capital. Danny, please tell us what uh, what social capital? How do we build an audience? And, um, and what are what you know? Just what are the trends? What are we seeing? And um, you know, what are what are best practices for that? Because that seems to be the foundation to the crowdfunding house. Well, we had a really great audience building panel here the other day, so I definitely recommend watching the archive of that when we post it. Um, and I think definitely crowdfunding should be part of the film's audience building campaign more than it's a part of the actual funding plan for, for the project. Um, I, I think building an audience has to start really, really, really early. And some people are lucky they already have a built-in audience from previous projects that they've done. Or um, my business partner Alex and I are lucky because we have our membership community as our audience. So we always have that to, as, a, as a starting block to work off of. Um, I guess it really starts with defining what your brand is or who that ideal audience member is for the film. And something that uh, we spoke about the other day, a tip that someone gave me recently of determining who that ideal audience member is, is uh, picture yourself and allowed to go on only one talk show to promote your film. And what talk show would that be and what that what is their demographic? Um, yeah, it's actually a really good tip. Uh, and. Uh, 
after after your audience is defined, the the whole crowdfunding campaign has to be worked into that audience building plan. You mentioned that um, it's definitely a problem sometimes afterwards. That audience just drops off because a lot of people don't plan for the after how they're going to continue engaging that audience. And um, Emily, you actually wrote uh, I don't know if it was a Facebook post or it was a blog post or it was an actual article. Uh, it was like last year. Uh, it was after you did a crowdfunding campaign, oh. and you wrote about how you should treat your business all the time like you're doing a crowdfunding campaign. And yeah, that yeah, it was a HuffPo article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that was amazing, and it really thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Wow. And uh, and it really made me think a lot because that's so true. Uh, if we were always so good about communicating with our audience as we are during a crowdfunding campaign, imagine how huge our audience would be. Um, and in speaking about partnerships before, uh, a really great time to build partnerships is before you do a crowdfunding campaign. Um, one example, we have one of our members, uh, he has a campaign going on right now, um, and he has he's a filmmaker with Tourette's Syndrome, and so he's partnered with a Tourette's Foundation who's out there promoting his campaign for him because they want to see him succeed. Um, so I definitely wouldn't recommend waiting to build those partnerships. That should happen really early on in the process when you start building the narrative surrounding your project. So, Mark, and yeah, in regards to partnerships, real quickly, um, we have a lot of great partners at, at Indiegogo, uh, Austin Film Society, the IDA, and as you were sort of saying, it's working with organizations like that who benefit from you having your success, so they promote you. So, you know, the other night uh, we co-sponsored the Austin Film Society party, and they love their filmmakers in Austin, uh, Michael Tully, uh, uh, Ping Pong Summer being one of them, and so yeah, those partnerships are key because, again, and as I said. Running a crowdfunding campaign by yourself, not great. Uh, so bring in your team, and you can only you can amplify that by having great partners as well. Fantastic. Well. I